2: I am so glad to be here today to be able to share God's Word with you. I've been anticipating this new series that we're going to launch this morning for many, many weeks, and now it is here. It's almost like giving birth to a baby, except I don't know what that feels like. And I certainly hope this is not going to be painful, at least for you, all right? In this whole series that we're going to start, and I'm glad that you could be here for the very first Sunday. If there was one Sunday to be at, it would be this one right here, because when you build a building, you want to lay the foundation, and we're going to lay the foundation. Now, it may not look real pretty because of the things we'll be sharing with you, but it'll be truth nonetheless, and then we're going to add on this foundation tremendous truths, and then you're going to grow, and you're going to learn what God's mind is on money, and by the end of our series, we're going to have this nailed down, at least hopefully enough to give you... Uh, truths that will add value to your life. Now, you're probably wondering, how long is this series going to be? Well, as I went through this material, I studied it greatly. It's going to be 25 weeks long. No, I'm joking. It will not be that long, but it's probably going to be a little bit longer than you think. And the reason being is because as a Bible expositor, I don't want to be like that old Texas preacher. He had a point here and a point there and a lot of bull in between. I want to make sure that I give you the truth and we spend enough time drilling deeply in this. And you're going to hear some other reasons why I really selected this series and why we really need to learn it in just a moment. But For those of you that are still trying to wrap your head around the whole idea of teaching about money and why is that important, you know, money touches every one of our lives. I I would not be a bit surprised that those of you that have a wallet or a purse here today, that in it, that you have a credit card or a check in there or cash in there because you know that you need to have that money. How many of you ever were thinking about, boy, I I, I left my checkbook at home or I left my wallet at home because we know that money is so much a part of our life? God knows that, and as you go through Scripture, you're going to find that He really speaks about money directly or indirectly or refers to it in almost every single book in the Bible because it is so much a part of our lives. And so since He does, I felt like it would be good to do something what we normally would call systematic theology. That would mean that systemized, we're going to go through the theology of God's mind on money from Genesis to Revelation in such a way that I hope it will bring some very great practical value to your life. Someone once said that we often spend our our health acquiring our wealth, and then when we get to be a certain age, then we start taking that wealth and to try to get our health back again, don't we? And that happens in our lives. Some people spend most of their life to acquire that wealth, and then later on they try to get their life back again with the money that they have. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised those listening to me right now might be the, way, might be the same way. Now here's one thing I want to say right from the beginning so that you can take this to the banks, excuse the pun, and that is that I'm not really here trying to give this message on money because we believe that you need to give more. I'm not here because the church needs money or not. I'm not here giving this particular message so that you can have a lot of little platitudes on money. My desire is so that you would know God, you would know His Word, you would know how to glorify Him and how you live your life. And since money is a part of our life, how do we bring glory and honor to the Lord from the inside out so that He would be praised through all of this? So to do that, we have to really kind of unpack this. Now, the first couple of messages in this series is going to be, again, laying the groundwork. Today we're going to talk about the foundational principles regarding money, so you understand money. And then next week we're going to talk about the greatest dangers that we have when we face this whole concept of money. And then we're going to get real practical, we're going to have a lot of fun, I'm going to take you through a lot of Proverbs, and we're going to talk about God's mind on how do you get money. Now I know one way is to rob a bank, I guess, but that's not in my notes. But there is a way to get money. There are many ways that God says is a very honorable way to acquire more money. And then we're going to talk about what do we do once we have the money. So we're going to talk about how do you guard your money. In other words, how do you keep the bucket from having a hole in the bottom of it when you're putting the the money in it at the top? So we're going to talk about guarding your money. And there are very clear biblical principles on how we're to guard our money. And then we're going to kind of come to the end and spend a couple Sundays on this because there's so much on the idea of giving our money. So we're going to talk about issues such as do we tithe today or do we just give grace giving? Where does that all fit in? We'll spend some time on that. You've already been instructed well on that topic. But I also want to talk about uh, about giving to missions. Do you give only to your church? Do you only give through your church? And then who should get your money first? Should it be the guy that has his hat like I saw yesterday in the middle of traffic with his baseball cap asking people for money at a stoplight? Do you give to those that have a genuine need? Who do, who gets it first? Does your family get it? Do others get it? What's the qualifications biblically that we should be giving our money? And so we're going to talk about how do we give it. So I hope that you're with us for every single Sunday. At the end of this series, then I'm going to provide you with a very lengthy bibliography so that you can then further your study on money through a lot of other resources. But again, what would be the reason that I would want to teach on this subject of money? Well, let's look at some of the reasons that I selected that would give you my heart of why I think it's important to understand God's mind on money. You may want to take out your notes and kind of go through them with me, all right? So let's begin. If I could have a little bit more light up here, that would be great. It's not that I want you to see me better. It's that I want to see my notes a little better. If we can throw up a little bit more light, that would be great. Why am I going to preach on money? Well, the first reason is because God says we must know his word in all issues, and this is a big one. I think we already know that money is a big issue, and he wants us to know all of his word. One of my favorite passages that most of us probably can even quote because we've been taught this so many times, and that would be the passage that's found in 2 Timothy that says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for such things as teaching and correcting and reproving and training. But then it says, why? So what? So that the man of God, the person of God could be thoroughly equipped unto all good works or good deeds, and so that then he could be profitable to others. So long term is I want you to really help on your funding as well as to you to be able to help others because everything I'm teaching you, I want you to pass it down to the next generation, whether it's your family or those that you're discipling, because we're very strong in a disciple-making church here. So we'd want you to be a part of that. So I would like you to know that so that you would understand God's mind on it from a biblical point of view. I would like you to turn to a verse that you probably read in Proverbs, but might not have linked to this whole issue that we're talking about. So take your Bibles for a moment and open up to Proverbs. Turn to Proverbs chapter 23. Just a a couple of verses here for you to look at. Excuse me, Proverbs chapter 24, if you will. Proverbs 24. It's a great passage, and it really might speak to us about the importance of knowing these truths and why it is important. Look, if you will, at Proverbs 24, and you're going to find it here as we begin in verse 4. It says... And by knowledge of this house, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant treasures. And then it says, a wise man is strong, and a man of knowledge increases power. So we know that if we have knowledge, we have power, authority, ability, and I would like to say confidence and strength. And from all of that, we'll be able to know how to use our funding properly. We'll understand what God has to say about funding. So it is important for us to do that. As I was going through and getting ready for this message, I um, use all different resources like I mentioned. And so I decided for this message, this point here, I wanted to look up how many books that I have on just good biblical money management. There are so many of them out there. I found out that I had 27 books in my library. Now, I don't want you to think I ran out to buy all of these. It's funny uh, that when you're a pastor, people say, hey, I got a book I want you to read, and they dump a book on you. In most books, I do try to go through because it meant enough to the person to provide it for me that I thought it might be something in there. But I'll go through that, 27 of them all. Now, if you will look up here, regardless of all of those books, I want you to know that I've taken the Bible and I've gleaned some insights from them, that's true, but my Bible sits on top of all those books. The word has gotten out that I was going to speak on this subject, and over the last couple of weeks... I've had different ones come to me and said, hey, have you heard of, and they named a national speaker ministry that deals with money management. And I said, oh, yeah, I've, I've heard of them, and I've listened to their radio program, and I've seen some of their books, and I've seen how different people that have been involved in their Bible studies have really grown and gotten a handle on their money, and I appreciate that. And so I won't ever put a dispersion on that. I will just simply say, I'll put my Bible on top of that always. And then people say, what about this guy? He's uh, been a great guy, a big guru in money. He has since uh, passed on and gone to heaven. I said, yes, I know the man personally before he even got into that ministry. And I've been spending time with his ministry up in North Georgia and all of that. So I've had a great training with him and I thank God for that insight. Or other national speakers that speak on it. But again, out of all of that, We've got to take our Bible and put it on top of it because all this money issue has come from God. What he provides for us comes from God. The ability to get wealth, as we've heard this morning as we read through Scripture, has come from God. So the Bible is going to be our textbook, not another manual. Now... Saying all that, let's say some of you say, well, could we start a Bible study on this? Could we have like a Sunday school class on it? Yes. And if you said, could I use this material or that material? I'd say as long as you run their material through the grid of Scripture and that you can carefully and correctly discern where they might be overemphasizing or underemphasizing or not emphasizing something that should be done correctly. I'd say absolutely. I think it is important. If our church only talked about money, well, then we've got a problem. So we don't want to do that either. But all that we can get to learn about this very important part of our life is very, very critical. You know, I've done a bunch of counseling, and it seems like the statistics are true, and I can say from experience, that more arguments and perhaps even more divorces in a first marriage, you will find somewhere at the root of all of that. We could say pride, I get that. But it shows up in the money part. Second marriages often break down based on kids. They're your kids that you brought into it or my kids that we brought into this or our kids in this. And so now you've got struggles in that. doesn't really matter. Money is a part of it. And I think if the truth be known, the majority of crimes that even brought murder today, we would find that it would be due to money, money issues, mine, more, and what I want to do with it. And so I'd like for us to be experts in the Bible, living it and sharing it with others on God's mind on money. So that's why I want to teach this. Number one is God says we must know his word, and all issues are important, and the money issue is a very important one. Let's look at the second one, and that is is because there's so many misconceptions about money. So we want to correct misconceptions. I'd like to give you seven of them. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these because they're so, I think, reasonably understood by you. But I do want to give those to you so you can share them with others. These are what we call misconceptions about our money. Here's number one, and that is that money happens to be evil. There are people today to think that money, all money, is evil. And sometimes they'll just kind of throw that out because it sounds so spiritual to say money is evil. Well, no, it's not evil because God says a lot about it, both positively and negatively in Scripture. So money is not evil. The second one is having money is is sinful, that if I have money... It's sinful, and the more money I have must mean the more sinful that I am, and that's not the case. Just having wealth is not sinful. So those of you that have been blessed, whether you have prospered in your business or whether you prospered in your investments or you prospered through inheritance or you prospered through gambling, no, I'm joking on that last part. However you got it, I want you to know being wealthy is not necessarily sinful to have that. The third one is people who have it are important. People who have it must be important. Now the reason I threw that in there is because as a young, young teenager, I remember growing up in Miami, Florida, and on Sundays we were not a Christian family, I was not saved, and they had a rock and roll station in Miami, and I remember that back in those days, and that tells you a little bit how old I am, they would not play rock and roll music on the radio until noon, it was like a blue law for rock and roll music. And I really liked rock and roll music. And so I was waiting for that. And so on Sunday morning, you would listen to the programs. They would have one program that was a religious one, and it was pretty boring. So I kind of, you know, zoned out of that. And then the next program, funny, was on money management. And even to this day, I can remember how they started. Every Sunday, the person, the announcer of this program would always say, Money's not important. It's the people who have it are. And that's why I, I, I still remember that today. And I guess as I live today, I've learned from Scripture that, no, the people who have money are not the ones that are important. It's the ones who know how to biblically use it for God's glory are the ones that have the significance before the Lord. And so I want you to know that I want you to have that sense before the Lord of fruit and fulfillment in the area of using the money God has provided for you. But, no, people who have money doesn't necessarily mean that they're more important, at least from a biblical worldview. Number four, those who are poor are not spiritual. That means uh, the reason you're poor is because you misused God's money or you wasted God's money or whatever, and so that must mean that you're not spiritual. Uh, that's not the case at all. There are people that did not have a lot that I think are very spiritual. Would you like me to give you an example? I would say Jesus, wouldn't you? Now, we know he owned everything, you know, the cattle on a thousand hills as far as the Godhead, but as he lived his life as a model to us as humanity, he didn't have a lot. In fact, he didn't have a place to even lay his head often. And yet at the same time, Uh, He was very important, the most important, the most significant. So if you are right now feeling like, I don't have a lot of money, that must mean that I don't don't have enough uh, to offer. I want you to know that in many ways, I think you could have more because you don't have a lot. All right, the next would be God's word, or God wants us to give away all our money. There are people where the pendulum swings all the way to the other direction that they think that... You know what, God says that if I have money, I'm not supposed to have it, so as much as I have, I need to give it away. And perhaps they're driven more, as a Christian now, they're driven more by their spiritual gift of mercy. So they hear a lot of people that have needs, whether it's a missionary, a poor poor person, a broken person, a need around a ministry, whatever it is, and their mercy just explodes inside of them. And I really can't fault them for that, it's just their gift of mercy that they have. But whatever gift that we might have, and now using mercy, that gift needs to be Um, modified, controlled by, influenced by the Holy Spirit. And so we use that mercy not to give away everything that we have. We use that mercy to build up other people. And so that mercy needs to be done properly. But those that have the gift of mercy sometimes think we need to give it away. Or you listen to some of these television evangelists and preachers and people that are out there that are big name. A lot of it is give, 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 and they try to parade all the stuff that they had, their fancy cars and jets and clothes and diamonds and jewelry and all of that. They got to give, all right? And the more you give, the better it is, and that's not the case. And then you have those, as we go a little bit further in this, the more we give, the better chance we have of getting into heaven. The better chance we have of getting into heaven. Now most evangelical churches are very clear about that that no you don't give to get your sins paid for. But as you begin to move out of the realm of biblical evangelical churches and you get people that don't know the word and you move into other religions, they certainly tie our eternality into our, our checkbook and how much we give and how much we can't give. I heard uh, this story. I don't know that I can totally validate it, but it's been around long enough and it hasn't been refuted, that uh, the Kennedy family gave a million dollars to get JFK out of purgatory. And so there was some bit of money tied to eternal life. And so since this is being recorded and it is being broadcast on radio and the internet, this message, I would like to make this perfectly clear. There is no amount of money that we could ever give to be able to get God to either love us more, to grace us more, to bestow more mercy on us, or to look at us even better so that he could take us into heaven. There's no verse in scripture anywhere. In fact, one passage alludes to this. It says, may your money perish with you if you think you can purchase the gift of God. So I want you to know that there's no amount of money that you have that can get you into heaven. The only way we have eternal life is to come to the Lord, no matter how rich or poor or in between we are, and say, Lord, I am a sinner. I am a sinner by nature. I'm a sinner by choice, and I need a Savior. My money cannot save me because I could never pay enough to get into heaven, and if I gave all my money away, I still don't know if it was enough. So, Lord, I need you to be the Savior for me and now become my Savior. And you do that not by good works, starting, stopping, giving, taking. You come just as you are as someone who says, I missed the mark. You're the Savior. I'm trusting in you as my only hope to get to heaven. And Jesus says, you know what? I forgive you of all sin. It's not based on how much you have. It's based upon whether or not you placed your tiny little bit of faith totally and only and completely in me, and you have everlasting life. Well, here's the final misconception. That is preachers only talk about money. Preachers only talk about money. Well, I think that that could be true to a person who might come to church once every few years, and the few times that they come, they just happen to come in on that Sunday that the preacher spoke on money. So to that person, that preacher only speaks on money, but only when they're there, okay? But that doesn't necessarily mean that he always speaks on money. I don't know if you can see up here. I know they won't be able to do this on the radio, but I'm kind of acting as if I'm a, I'm a scale, you know that Satan is a master of imbalances. He takes the truth and then he just kind of puts a little bit of lie in there and he messes it all up. So he's he's a, he's a master of imbalance. So one side is a preacher who all they do talk about money. They feel like that's the most important thing and that's how they keep their ministry funded, their church funded. Their, their, their dreams funded, all right? Then you have the other pastor over here who is so afraid of people thinking that that's all he's going to talk about, that they are always going to be accusing him, and they're going to lose people in the church if he talks about money, so he never teaches about money. So I want you to know that Satan will do anything that he can to get the truth out in a skewed way to cause people to be off balance regarding their relationship with the Lord, and especially as it relates to money. So I'm not doing this because we're going to preach on money every Sunday. Now, it will appear that way to some of you, and especially those that didn't hear this message. And after they're here for four or five Sundays and I'm still speaking on there and say, that's all he talks about. But you're going to smile at them and you're going to wrap your arm around him and say, no, 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 no. This is such an important truth. We want him to speak on this. And it's not going to be every single Sunday, but we need to know this. And I'll open up some more reasons in a moment. But for right now, that's not the case. So there are preachers that they like to do that. That's not the case here. I did a survey, it wasn't a, an official one, you might not have gotten a little survey sheet, but I went out and I talked to different people, the leaders of the church, the elders, some of the deacons, individuals, some of you will even remember I did this. I said, um, um, I think maybe it'd be a time to speak on money, I don't need any more money, I'm fine, but has this church had a, um, a message on money? And they, they looked at me and, and with kind eyes, they said, we've had some great Bible teaching on money here at this church. It's been a while ago. We've had some seminars on our Sunday school classes on it. But it might be good for us to address this again. Not one person that I interviewed said, no, we don't need to hear this. Everyone said, I think it's time for us to do this. And many of those people that I quizzed were the spiritual leaders of this church, the people that have loved you and shepherded you and been with you through your down times and your up times. And so they're not trying to do this to get money out of you. What they're trying to do is to have a, a six-Sunday counseling session, so to speak, a biblical session with you to only help you. So based on the survey says, I'm going to go ahead and, and speak on this. So I'm not driven by anything other than truly I love you, and I want you to have a close relationship with the Lord, and I don't want to leave the subject of money out because Jesus doesn't do that. So I hope that would be a good place for us to begin there. So those are the misconceptions. Let's go to the third reason. There is a need for us to be models and mentors to others. I alluded to this a moment ago, but I want to park on this. Models and mentors is a little bit different. A model is you just live it right, and the other is going to be a mentor. I am really committed to discipleship. Now, I will do my one-on-ones, but I know that I'm blessed shepherding a church that is loaded with many Christians. And, um, but I also want you to take this message and pass it on to others. That's why you have an outline version. That's why we're letting you know that you can get a CD copy of this. That's why that they're going to put this on the Internet so you can listen to it again. But with the intention of, here it is, that you would bring other people to these truths. Now, I would hope that as you're doing this, you would bring them through what your understanding of Scripture is too, so you don't just polyparrot ponds. I don't think I've ever said that before. All right, But the point still being is it's not polyparroting me. It's taking God's word and giving it to them. I want you to do that. Now, who should you begin with? Your kids. Many years ago, um, I was so burdened about kids using their money wisely that I put together a seminar that was called Teaching Your Children How to Handle Money. Out of all the seminars that I've done across the country, that happened to be one of the most popular ones because I'd have the parents come and their kids come to sit in on this as we went through How Do You Help Your Kids Handle Money? Do you want to know what the number one question I got before a parent would come and bring their kids? Would you like to? You would think, well, how old is it that they can come? I said, well, as long as they can sit through a a three- or four-hour seminar and at least be quiet through it all, bring them, bring them, bring them. I said, that wasn't it. Here's my number one question. How can I teach my kids about money if I'm such a failure at it myself? Now, they didn't say it quite like that, but that's basically what they were saying. And you want to know what my answer is? My answer is is a little bit of a paragraph, but I think you'll understand. Not every professional NBA coach played professional NBA basketball. So they could coach the players, even though they themselves never played at the NBA level, because they knew what they needed to do. And so maybe you have not been equipped in doing this. And I would say, that's why I'm having this seminar, because I care for the next generation and you will be the best person. So I would like you to come, and if your kids don't get anything directly from it, you could get your finances together so that you can then model it in front of your kids, and then you can begin to mentor them. And so I could go through a lot of Q&A on that, but I want you to know that my desire is that you would help them. I mean, I said, my kids don't even listen to me right now. I get that, but maybe your grandkids will. Here's why. You have to connect before you correct. And so maybe with your kids, there's still a little bit of a misconnection because of X reasons. But that doesn't mean that you have not connected to your grandkids because your grandkids just freely love you because you're Candyman or whatever. You know, they just love you, all right? And so with them, you can begin modeling it. I, um, I did not grow up in a Christian home. Thankfully, my dad came to know Christ as Savior. For whatever reason, my dad... Oh, I know the reason. He, did, he didn't have a dad. His dad died by getting killed by a streetcar in Chicago at 6 and when my dad was 16 he just didn't have anybody and so he committed himself to becoming the dad to me. Carol and I I can tell you these principles work and my dad modeled it. We own our own house it's paid for. Every car that we have in the last 40 years of our marriage have been all paid for. We have absolutely no debt and we're just a pre- poor preacher boy. Now, we didn't win the lottery, we had no inheritance.